what CVAC is, is uh, probably one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest inventions and developments uh, since germ theory. Exercise stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis. So CVAC is essentially like a super form of exercise. Intense exercise is more effective than less intense exercise. You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, visit naturalstacks.com. Brian Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Brian Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Brian Muncy is my go-to guy. Brian Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Brian Muncy's an innovator. All right, happy Thursday, all you Optimal Performers. Welcome to another episode of the OPP. We are joined this week by Alan Roskowski. Uh, Alan, thanks for hanging out with us today. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's a pleasure being here. All right. So we had a lot of fun in Los Angeles. Uh, we got to play with uh, the CVAC machine um, that you helped uh, popularize, create. We'll talk a little bit about that story in a few minutes. Uh, before we really dive into this week's show, a couple of housekeeping notes for you guys listening. Uh, number one, make sure you go to naturalstacks.com. You'll be able to see the blog post along with a really cool video from my experience in the CVAC machine, uh, along with links to some of the studies that we're going to talk about and all of the resources that you guys can pursue to further your education on this particular topic. Um, as always, go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review, let us know how much you like the show. If we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with some Natural Stacks products. I'm going to read you one now from Pure Joy Planet. Thanks for the biohacking podcast, five stars. I just listened to the interview on the Biohacker Summit. Thanks for providing great content and asking good questions. I got a lot out of this. So Pure Joy Planet, thank you for that. Shoot me an email, ryan at naturalstacks.com. We'll hook you up with some free product. Uh, last public service announcement for you guys, as you listen to this, if you hear information that you know, you wish your friends or family knew, or if you hear information that you want to share with other people, please grab the link to this podcast, share it with your friends, uh, or grab their phone and subscribe them to the OPP so they don't miss a single episode. That's how we grow this thing and reach more people uh, and ultimately make the world uh, a healthier, stronger, happier, more optimized place. Um, with that said, Alan, um, you have a, a very fascinating background. Uh, you know, we were talking before we hit record, used to be a, a part of GE's MRI team, worked in Silicon Valley, had quite a bit of success, were able to sell some companies, make enough money to do what you want to do. That is this. Tell us a little bit about what this is. What this is, I'm sitting inside of a 17-year-old CVAC pod. It was uh, one of the first ones we built that we utilized in the research studies at Stanford University and the University of Hawaii, and also at the uh, University of California, San Diego. And uh, it's now uh, in our front uh, foyer of our uh, new manufacturing facility that we just moved into a couple of months ago. 
And uh, so we're ready to rock and roll. What CVAC is, is uh, probably one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the greatest inventions and developments uh, since uh, actually germ theory, maybe even more important than germ theory. When we talk to scientists involved with our technology, I've uh, been in discussions where the scientists would say, this is the biggest thing since germ theory. And other scientists would say, no, I disagree. This is bigger than germ theory. So maybe I've uh, piqued your interest in that. <laughs> well, give us a, a, a brief, uh, what does CVAC stand for? Um, Cyclic variations and adaptive conditioning. You probably know that people who are more fit, they adapt to different environmental factors faster. There's evidence that, for example, football players, this, the time at which they can adapt from crouching on the line to a full sprint is based on their ability to adapt. And uh, that can be the difference between sacking the quarterback or not. So that's what CVAC does, is it enhances the body's ability to adapt to different environments. Okay. So for you guys listening, we're going to really dig into you know, how these machines can help us with this. Uh, we'll get into the science. We'll get into all this uh, in just a few minutes. Uh, so, you know, Alan, I, I, I guess I want to start, you know, for, for our listeners, you know, we first met you uh, and, and saw the CVAC machine last fall at the Bulletproof conference. Uh, the right. CVAC machine was in the Bulletproof lab. Uh, we know that, uh, that that's still a project that Bulletproof is trying to get off the ground. Uh, you guys are going to be a part of that. You're also in uh, a few different places, um, one of them being the Beverly Hills Rejuvenation Center, which is where uh, Alex and I got to experience this on our recent trip to L.A. Uh, I got to do a 20-minute session. Um, you know, for our listeners, the experience is, is very unique. You, know, you get into this pod um, which you know, Alan is sitting in now. And, and we've got some footage. If you're watching the video, you can see me sitting in it as well. Uh, but it's very much like an egg or, or a space age kind of capsule thing. Um, Alan, my understanding is uh, there, there are three variables that we're manipulating in there. Um, oxygen levels, temperature, and pressure. Is that correct? That's correct. With those three variables, we are, uh, we're, we're stressing and, and training our mitochondria. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, that's part. That's part of it. We, it's certainly uh, a lot of the action that CVAC operates on is on uh, the mitochondria. Okay, so if you can explain to us uh, the full action that, that's going on in there, in mitochondria and others. Well, yeah, it was uh, uh, nearly three decades ago that Carl Linton, the inventor of the CVAC process, uh, discovered that. Um, the cell membranes, including the membranes of the mitochondria, are piezoelectric. And so when you change the pressure across the cells, it changes the voltage on the inside surface of the mitochondria. And it is, uh, it is voltage changes on the surface of the mitochondria that cause L-arginine to release a nitric oxide molecule. And that release of nitric oxide mo molecule inside the mitochondria is the signal for mitochondria to essentially propagate to make more mitochondria. It's a way of telling the human body that it's active. So that, that's part of uh, the mechanism is uh, mitochondrial biogenesis now. Okay. So let me, can I pause for a second before we move to the next part? Within that biogenesis, and you're talking about changing the, the voltage uh, you know, inside, 
Does that have anything to do with the EZ zones uh, that we hear a lot of like quantum biologists talking about now within mitochondria? It, it might be. I don't really know that much about the EZ zones. Uh, my, uh, I'm not a biochemist. My, my background is really in, in physics and, uh, you know, like MRI scanners. And I think that's part of my advantage is I don't get involved, get hung up in the biochemistry associated with it. Okay. The, this piezoelectric mechanism I described is the mechanism by which exercise stimulates mitochondrial biogenesis. So CVAC is essentially like a super form of exercise. I just want to highlight that or, or kind of make sure we're clear on this. So you're saying with, with what you're talking about being similar to exercise. Um, when, you, when you exercise, you change the pressure across the cells. Okay. That's part of the exercise process. When, when you lift a barbell up, Okay, you're, the muscles are compressing, they're squeezing, and that's putting pressure on the cell membranes. And then you put the barbell down, and then there's a rush of flesh blood, fresh blood. So we're simulating that kind of an effect uh, while people are sitting inside the pod. However, okay. uh, we probably are doing a better job than you can with regular exercise. Right. Because with regular exercise, while you're producing uh, the energy, while the mitochondria are producing the energy, to, uh, to be able to perform the physical exercise, there are, uh, we also believe they're producing uh, metabolic waste products called advanced glycation end products. Mm -hmm. okay? Okay. And uh, when in physical exercise and in the CVAC process, we believe we are probably stimulating the lymphatic system and the glymphatic system to flush out these, those metabolic waste products. Right. And that's one of the things I remember from the first conversations I had um, with you guys at the Bulletproof Conference was that, you know, even properly functioning, or, or I guess maybe even specifically properly functioning mitochondria will have metabolic waste products. I think that's something that not a lot of people think about or talk about in our health world. So it is important that we pump those out and, and you know, keep those things working. Yeah. That, in our opinion, that's why athletes have to recover is they accumulate these waste products. There are studies showing, uh, for example, that uh, an athlete would do physical exercise uh, to the point of exhaustion. They would massage one leg and not the other. Mm -hmm. And then they did muscle bi biopsies on those. And they found that the, the, lactic the lactic acid level was the same in both legs. The difference was the leg that got massaged had greater mitochondrial biogenesis. Wow. So I, I think the fundamental question uh, by, uh, that people should really be concerned about is in uh, the Howard Hughes Medical Institute, Marino uh, and others, identified that insulin resistance is associated with a mitochondrial deficit. And that, might, that would explain why diabetics are tired all the time, why exhausted athletes are, get inside the CVAC pod, and within... Uh, uh, it's probably an hour, they can get out and do competition again because it's like massage. It's like flushing out those metabolic waste products. Only it's probably like having uh, a lot of hands on you all at the same time. Right. I can say when I did it, I came out feeling, I only did 20 minutes. And I know uh, when we talked to the folks at, uh, at Beverly Hills uh, Rejuvenation Center that you know, a typical session would be 60 minutes. You would do three of those 20 minute sessions with about a five or a 10 minute break in between them. So I can't imagine how charged up and, and how 
you know, electric you would feel uh, at the end of that. I, I prefer to think of it as being cleaned out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. You know, a, a clean engine performs right. better. Right. And mitochondria are engines and the cells are uh, utilized. They're the, the rest of the mechanism. Mm-hmm. So essentially what we're helping the cells do is get themselves cleaned out. Okay. Um, so I, I know you asked about the, the EZ zones. Uh, so uh, EZ stands for exclusion zones. And uh, this is, it's from the work of Gerald Pollack. Uh, for you okay, guys. Yeah, I'm familiar with that in terms okay. of the, the different structures of waters within the cell. Right, right. And how that can uh, increase the mitochondrial membrane potential um, and it improves mitochondrial function. Um, So if you guys are curious on uh, about following up on that, I'll put a link to a blog post that we've already written on the natural stacks page about five ways to naturally boost your mitochondria. Um, But most of this is uh, with with Gerald Pollack stuff. That's from his fourth phase of water. And uh, there's a TEDx talk that we'll link to on there. Yeah. It'll be really curious to see if there's a link between those EZ zones and the accumulation of advanced glycation end products. Is somebody doing that research now? Uh, there had been a tremendous amount of research on advanced glycation end, end products funded by uh, Larry Ellison from, through the Ellison Foundation and the Glenn Foundation and the Buck Institute. However, uh, about two years ago, Larry Ellison stopped uh, funding that research. I think there's still a lot of uh, research going on. Um, it's certainly our intention to uh, fund that kind of research uh, because advanced glycation end products like a mitochondrial deficit are um, linked to just some horrible age-related diseases. Right. I think the, the fundamental question we have to answer is uh, in diabetes, uh, mitochondria, there's a reduction of the quantity of mitochondria associated with insulin resistance. I think the fundamental question we should be asking is why. And our hypothesis is that if people don't get enough exercise, these waste products accumulate inside the cells and between the cells. And uh, essentially the mitochondria are swimming around in their own waste products and their own excrement. And that's why it's so important for athletes to recover. And we see it all the time with uh, endurance athletes and they, they don't do any active recovery. They, they'll just sit in a chair after their run or their, their weightlifting or something like that. And active recovery is extremely important. And another fundamental question is uh, many triathletes are actually in poor health. Uh, there's, there are studies from Sweden uh, showing that uh, runners that run 55 miles a week have the same amount of heart disease and heart attacks as people who get no exercise. And I think we have to begin answering that question. I think advanced glycation end products, mitochondrial content is the way to get to those answers. So to kind of give our listeners actionable uh, things that they can do, that we can all do. I mean, we don't all have access to a CVAC machine. and, And I understand what you said about it being like you know, having 20 sets of hands on you and, and being an accelerated version of this recovery. But, you know, it sounds like uh, a lot of our listeners do exercise. We know that, that, that exercise can help mitochondria, but it sounds like um, whatever modality we choose, we certainly need to make sure that we're spending an equal amount of effort and, and attention uh, on recovery, whether it's right. foam rolling, massage, uh, just going for walks for active recovery, uh, anything Stretch. else you would add? Stretching. 
Stretching is really important. Okay. Okay. When I, when I go to the gym and work out, I always stretch when I get done. I think uh, cyclists have a good uh, routine. After they're on in in a uh, intense ride, they will go through a low intensity cycle ride to for recovery. Mm-hmm. So I, I, just anything that we can do for active recovery to flush uh, out those waste products that get right. that get uh, produced. Okay. Uh, are there any foods or, or beverages uh, that we could drink? I mean, obviously, lots of water. Uh, uh, I, I'm not an expert on that. My okay. my area of focus is on CVAC okay. and how, how it relates to physical exercise. So when it comes to your world of beverages and what you consume, right. I'll leave that up to you guys. <laughs> I, got, okay. I, I got my hands full trying to figure, trying to understand CVAC. Okay, fair and, enough. And, and physical activity. Fair enough. Hey, we appreciate anyone who has the discipline to uh, stay within their own lane, uh, and, and we'll we'll respect that, and uh, and we'll keep it on the CVAC stuff. So, um, we have so so the, some of the benefits of CVAC again, just to kind of recap this: um, mitochondrial biogenesis, removal of the the waste byproducts, facilitates recovery, protects mitochondria, which um, you know, as you just said, can can kind of help us. Uh, I don't want to say prevent, but we know certain disease states are linked to mitochondrial deficits. We mentioned the, the three variables that change in the CVAC. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about how temperature, oxygen levels, and pressure facilitate or, or, or stimulate those positive changes in the mitochondria? Uh, Yes, I, I think that what we know from physical exercise is intense exercise is more effective than less intense exercise uh, in terms of stimulating mitochondrial biogenesis, exercising to the point of being breathless. And when you exercise to the point of being breathless, the body is consuming more oxygen, so it lowers the level of oxygen in the blood. That's why the heart rate goes up. So uh, there's some evidence that the mitochondria have to be in the proper metabolic state in order for uh, nitric nitric oxide to have that effect. Okay. And I think in uh, some of the uh, studies on L-arginine as a supplement, when they give those supplements to people who don't exercise, they don't get the benefit. But when they give the supplements to people who do exercise, they get the nitric, they get the benefit of the supplement. And we think that's that part of that mechanism is getting the mitochondria in the proper metabolic state. So, Using the low oxygen level that we produce by a low pressure level in here, uh, inside the CVAC pot, it's always 21% oxygen. When you go up to the mountains, it's about 20% oxygen inside the CVAC pod. We, we don't change that ratio. What we do is change the number of molecules in there, like, uh, like going to the mountains. So that, uh, well, in the studies we did at Stanford, we measured that the oxygen saturation in the blood goes down to uh, pretty close to 80 for uh, maybe 10 or 20 seconds, it'll go down to 70%. So it's, and, and it's only for a short period of time, like resistance training. When you, when you squeeze those muscles, we believe you may actually be squeezing the blood out of the capillaries. So the, the cells are in a low oxygen condition. Okay. Right. All right. Okay. And that when, when you exercise, uh, there's a temperature variation, right? Your muscles change temperature, your body changes temperature because you're generating heat. So we produce that temperature variation through, boil, uh, through Charles' law. Basically, 
when you have fewer molecules uh, bump, rubbing up against each other, then the temperature uh, goes low, gets lower. Like going up into the mountains, the temperature's lower than it is at sea level because of the uh, lower pressure. And then the, the pressure changes uh, simulate the pressure, the pressure changes that occur during physical exercise, like resistance training to activate uh, the cell member, the voltage changes on the cell membrane walls, and to stimulate the uh, flow of the lymphatic system. And I think for your business, particularly, uh, you would be interested in the flow of the cerebral spinal fluid uh, through the brain to flush out metabolic waste products. And there are some very, there's some very elegant MRI studies that shows that the flow of CSF through the brain to flush out metabolic waste products are associated with in, uh, inspiration. When people inhale, the, uh, the, especially when they inhale through their nose, like in yoga and things like that, and uh, the pressure in the lungs is lowered. We believe those pressure changes get transferred, transmitted into the brain through the venous system. So those pressure changes uh, cycle with breathing. And in the CVAC pod, the pressure will lower by as much as a negative 400 millimeters of mercury. So it's a very huge dynamic change. And what's more important, we've learned, are the changes in pressure. The, uh, I'm an engineer, so excuse the calculus, but it's, it's DPDT. It's the rate of change of pressure change. I actually had that written down as a note. And I said, make sure to ask, is it specifically, is it the rapid change in extremes? And, and what, what is that signaling for our mitochondria? Well, uh, you know, when, when you exercise, if you, if you jerk that weight up, mm -hmm. that's going to be different than if you move it up slowly. Right. Right. Because you're, you're signaling to your muscles, uh, you're recruiting more motor units. That drive is, is stronger from your brain to the muscle. More motor units uh, are, are recruited, more muscle fibers fire. It's, it's all, we talk about this in the strength training world. It's always the intent. You know, if I try to throw a punch as fast as I can, there's more going on there than if I try to throw it very, very slowly. Right. And you want and for proper exercise, you want to do both. You right. want to have slow changes and fast changes, and you want to program in the, them in the proper sequence. So the mitochondria are in the right metabolic state to receive that dramatic pressure change that causes mitochondrial biogenesis. Okay. So it's not just about, it's not only about pressure changes, it's the way in which the pressure changes are adapted. Right. And that's, that's a lot of the science of exercise physiology as well. Yeah, and um, you know, for you guys, again, if you're, if you're, if you're not watching this, uh, if you're listening, great. If you, if you have a chance to watch the video, definitely check it out. We have some great footage um, when, while I was in the CVAC machine. Uh, you could see these uh, sharp drops uh, and declines where, where everything was changing. And uh, there, there's pretty cool visual representation of what's going on on the screen um, you know, while I'm in the machine. So, um, okay, so, so I wanted to ask you, what other ways could we achieve some of these health benefits? I think we talked about that. Um, are, are there any, uh, like concerns or, or health issues, potential drawbacks, uh, from this type of, uh, biohack, if you will? Well, pr probably the, the biggest concern is, uh, is people's perception. Anytime something is new, people perceive that it's did dangerous or something like that. Back uh, when railroads uh, first started going uh, over 50 miles an hour, 
People believed that they would die in a railroad car if it went over 50 miles an hour because they wouldn't be able to breathe. Um, I think with, with our technology, we are essentially lowering the, the amount, the number of air molecules in the pod. And some people think that's counterintuitive. Your body needs oxygen. And so uh, we're reducing the amount of oxygen in each breath hold. So they say that can't be good for you because it's, it's, uh, it's counterintuitive. Well, um, you know, we, there's a tremendous amount of science about mountain climbing. And we know that the death zone at Mount Everest is above 25,000 feet. So uh, we have triple redundant hardwired safety mechanisms in this device that no matter what the software does, no matter what the operator does, it cannot go over 24,000 feet. So it stays safe. There's a lot that's known about uh, mountain sickness. It generally takes uh, like three hours to develop mountain sickness at uh, 22,000 feet, where, which is our maximum altitude. We're only at altitude for uh, like uh, less than a minute usually. And, and it's, it's, it's usually less than one cycle time. So, uh, you know, there's proof in the data. And uh, we, every time a CVAC session gets administered, it comes to our server to log the session. Well, so we've now, conduct, we've now have 250,000 documented sessions with zero significant adverse events. We've had, uh, I believe, seven institution review boards approve this as a non-significant risk device. And the institutional review boards are, are licensed by the FDA mm -hmm. to determine uh, whether or not these research studies and what, the use of this is safe or not. Yeah, IR, the Institutional Review Board is commonly known as the IRB, and, and I don't know if uh, anybody listening is familiar with trying to get studies approved, but they don't approve things that are uh, not safe. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, the, uh, now, fortunately, our IRBs have been pretty simple yeah. because uh, at, uh, at Stanford, uh, Ann Friedlander, she's a PhD. She is one of the world's experts in high-altitude physiology. So she submitted the IRB to Stanford and they go, well, if you think it's safe, then you're the expert, right? <laughs> Same thing with the University of Hawaii. And at, at UCSD, uh, that's where they publish high altitude medicine and biology. So these were experts. So I, our, our IRB submissions just sailed through. So it, it almost sounds like there's a, a I don't know if, if parallel is the right word, but I mean, it, it almost sounds sort of like blood doping uh, or a similar effect. Well, uh, we the, based on uh, VO2 max measurements, you know what those are, right? VO2 max. We're in uh, University of Hawaii, and it was replicated in other in other centers. We're seeing an increase in VO2 max in elite athletes of more than five percent. And EPO doping produces an increase in VO2 max by um, uh, generally about two percent. Wow! So, so those are the basis of our claims that it's actually more than twice as effective as doping for increasing the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood. Now, a really curious uh, effect now is in Hawaii, they measured uh, erythropoietin, endogenous erythropoietin, and they saw a very statistically significant increase in EPO. Now, one of the most interesting things is there was no increase in hematocrit in either the Stanford study or the Hawaii study, where with EPO doping, there is an increase in hematocrit. And so from high altitude studies, they've also measured an increase in um, uh, capillary density. The best way to explain that 
is uh, the athletes that use CVAC, they tell us when they're conditioned with CVAC, they'll weigh up to eight pounds more. Wow. So, so we expect we're opening up new capillaries. Right. And that increases the blood volume. Okay. And, and uh, when athletes you know, win, obviously, there are a lot of uh, world champion trophies behind me. They, you know, they always give them a blood test. And there's no significant increase in hematocrit. And that's probably why the World Anti-Doping Agency in 2006 elected to not ban these devices. Is It's the increase in hematocrit that makes the blood thick that makes doping dangerous. Okay. I was going to ask you to clarify why uh, it, it was significant that CVAC did not increase hematocrit, but I'm also slightly puzzled because it sounds like the anti-doping agents, and this is completely off topic, but it does sound like the anti-doping agencies are saying that, you know, we don't care if you dope as long as you don't do something that's harmful to your body. Well, th that's part of one of the part of the criteria for doping is it's not dangerous. Now, right. in in that evaluation that the World Anti Doping Agency did, it was actually the scientists at Canada that make made the strongest appeal, because athletes from the United States can go to Hawaii and they can sleep at eight thousand feet. They can even sleep at fourteen thousand feet, yep. and they and an hour later they can be at sea level training. Yep. Well, you can't do that in Canada unless you own a jet. <laughs> What CVAC actually does is it levels the playing field. So athletes in Canada or Los Angeles can get the same benefits as an athlete in Hawaii. For people who, who may not have heard the saying, uh, train low, sleep high, why is that an advantage? Well, when you, when you sleep at high altitude, your body becomes adapted to high altitude. Part of that adaptation process is an increase in uh, red blood cells. And in, like, okay, and uh, there, there's some evidence that there's an increase in capillaries, which means that, uh, and most likely we think there may be an increase in uh, blood volume, but we haven't seen many of those studies. Mm -hmm. So um, by uh, being adapted to high altitude, the body has access to uh, uh, greater oxygen carrying capacity. And then when you train at sea level, the body uh, can adapt to that greater oxygen availability so they get stronger and have more endurance. The, the idea is live high, train low. Is there a further benefit or, or maybe a stacking benefit, synergistic benefit from coupling this with uh, being either fat adapted or specifically being in ketosis, which we know is, has been shown to increase oxygen efficiency? Well, um, I... I only know enough about ketosis for my own personal uh, health. And uh, I have a, a long history in uh, cardiovascular prevention of cardiovascular disease and mm -hmm. things like that. And I, I, there's an outstanding book that I recommend you read it or everyone read. It's called uh, The Big Fat Surprise. Okay. Uh, when, you know, I'm, I'm 63 years old. And when I was growing up, all the information about fat being bad for you, uh, was becoming like a, a national mantra. Mm -hmm. And there's now evidence that, um, the low fat diets are actually, uh, actually generate heart disease. And so the, the shift in our diet from natural animal fats to cottonseed fats and hydrogenated cottonseed, uh, fats and, things and uh, trans fats and things like that may actually be associated with 
what's causing heart disease in this country. So this, the, the trend with paleo diets and ketogenics may be, uh, in my opinion, may be a big factor of re- reversing the mis, uh, the, the misunderstanding that got created about these low-fat diets because the diet heart hypothesis was never proven. Right. It was it was George McGovern who wanted to run for president and said, you know, we're going to we're going to take the FDA and we're going to make sure we go on these low fat diets. And the, a lot of scientists revolted against that. But there was the steamroller that rolled over. And a really fascinating study is one of the few interventional studies on uh, on heart disease and low fat diets was called the uh, Minnesota coronary experiment. And uh, the, the this was uh, thousands of people that, you know, some of them went on a regular fat diet, some of them went on a low fat diet. And uh, at the end of the study, there was no difference in heart disease. And then uh, fairly recently, uh, uh, the son of the principal investigator was going through his father's uh, basement after his father died. And his father was the principal investigator of the Minnesota coronary experience. So they, he found all of the original documents and he was able to go get the autopsy reports on something like 250 people. And as, as it turns out, the people that were on the low fat diets, uh, they had, uh, I think if I remember correctly, double the rate of heart disease and triple the rate of cancer than the people who were on normal fat diets. So I believe that this trend of paleo diets and ketogenics, and by the way, I, I live a ketogenic diet myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I practically eliminate all sugar and white flour, uh, eliminate processed foods. I eliminate uh, uh, things with preservatives in them because the way a lot of preservatives work is they, they do damage to mitochondria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of the, the education about ketogenic diets is really reversing you know, decades of miscommunication about what the right diet is. And so I, th- I think all of you that are fixing this diet program are, are, should be applauded for your work because, you know, it's, uh, you don't make a lot of money telling people, you know, writing a diet book. <laughs> okay. Most people don't. There, there are a few out there who have, but yeah. there, are, there are a few, but you know, the, 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 the concept is it's not like, uh, something that, uh, you can uh, you can get a lot of intellectual property on, but I noticed you guys do have a patent on CellTap now, right? We, we do have a patent on CellTap. That's correct. Yeah. Um, and, so you know, in, in my in my idea, it takes proper diet and proper exercise. Uh-huh. If you have an engine, you've got to you've got to use it properly. You have to exercise the engine, and you got to put the right fuel in it. Oh, we, we agree 100%. And, and that's, what's, that's what's so cool about being able to, you know, talk to an expert like you every single week is, you know, we, we're now uh, approaching 100 episodes. We've had 100 different ways that we can, you know, optimize our lives and our machinery and our health. And um, so, so back to what people can do if they don't have a CVAC unit. Yeah. Uh, go talk to your employer about installing one in your, where you work in your office. Because if the, the product last for more than 20 years, which means if you amortize the cost it's $600 a month, one CVAC unit can serve at least 60 people. So that's $10 per person per month. A lot of companies pay for health club memberships mm-hmm. that people don't have time to go to, they don't want to go to. Mm-hmm. But you can put this in your office. I have a, a few of them in my office, and I'm in it for 20 minutes to an hour every day. 
and I can work while I'm inside of it. I can do my use my cell phone. I could be on me, my email. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could be having this this call while we were taking a session right now, if you want. Right, right. And and I can speak to that. I mean, I, I was on my cell phone recording videos and and making notes while I was in it. Uh, you guys can probably check out the video of me right now, and I'm I'm on my phone inside the unit. Um, An important thing for runners. Uh, is something that I learned when I was actually a, a Cub Scout when I was a little kid. They had a, a program where you would run for so many steps and then you'd walk for so many steps and then you'd run for so many steps and then you'd walk. Uh, and uh, looking back on that, the walking is for recovery. Mm-hmm. So you know, w- when people work out in the gym or you know, there, there's now evidence that, that people need to move more frequently than once every two hours to stimulate the lymphaticism and to flush out these waste products. So walking, walking is a good recovery. It's better than nothing. Mm-hmm. I, 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 in my own opinion, I don't think anything is as effective as this based on the what I've seen in athletic performance and in the blood work in the middle-aged men at Stanford and things like that. Yeah. So I want to ask you some, some more questions about the studies that you guys have conducted with these. I know you have a, a current study that is uh, up for approval or where, where does the latest study stand? Uh, the latest study is we're in, in process of uh, submitting the IRB submission for a study uh, on uh, people with di- diabetic neuropathy. Okay. And uh, that's at Rancho Los Amigos National Rehabilitation Hospital. That's uh, uh, being conducted by Mark Lynham, who's a podiatrist. And our, our hope is that, you know, one of the uh, effects of diabetes, both type 1 and type 2, is diabetic neuropathy. People's feet begin to hurt. They go numb. And then our idea, and uh, this, this is a population of people who uh, find it difficult to exercise. It might even be dangerous for them to exercise because if they nick their foot, they won't, They wouldn't feel it. It gets infected, and that leads to amputations. So it's our hope we can get uh, to that early stage of pain, get them in the CVAC pod, and reverse these conditions. The the pilot studies we've done have just been astounding in terms of uh, we've had diabetics that were insulin dependent. They use the pod for three months. They go back to their doctor, and their doctor says, "Well, you don't need insulin anymore." So the the, 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 the Type two diabetics? Yeah, they were type two, right? Okay. Right. That, that, that's not going to happen to a type one. Right. That's but still. I mean, diabetic, that's- yeah, diabetic neuropathy is also a is a uh, an effect of type one diabetes as well. Right. right. Um, so, I mean, these are some amazing benefits. What would the like the average optimal performance podcast listener? What could we expect, or what could our listeners expect uh, in terms of benefits from using the CVAC? Well, I think I'm a, I'm a pretty good example of that. Uh, when I was a GE, uh, I went to work for GE when I got out of engineering school. And uh, uh, after a few couple of years, uh, they put me on the team, the original team, to start their MRI business. And we achieved 80% market share in a $200 million business uh, two years after, pro- uh, after product launch. And I was able, and it was my strategy that did that because I was able to think more steps ahead than the competition. And we've got some pretty tough competition with Siemens and the Japanese and and uh, the Dutch and people like that. So uh, then I, I went to Silicon Valley and I had three out of three startup successes. Two of the companies we sold to GE, and then uh, then I came down here to San Diego with uh, another venture I was getting started, 
And when I first met the inventor, Carl Linton, and saw the, and saw the proto, the, a very crude prototype of this technology, you know, I, th- I thought it was a scam. Uh, but I gave them some free advice. I said, for one, uh, go get some data to prove it works. And secondly, uh, don't talk to an, to an entrepreneur like me until you have, a, have applied for a patent. So uh, that was 13 years ago. And I was in my uh, late 40s. I was, I was pushing 50 at that time. And uh, for the previous few years, I was having a problem that no matter how much coffee I drink, I didn't feel like I was totally awake. Um, and so I took a session, a 20-minute session. I didn't feel any different. But the next morning, it's like someone cleaned the windshield on my brain. And I went to the gym, and the weights were light. And uh, I had to increase the weight stack to try and get the same resistance. I increased it by 30%. And don't do that. <laughs> you probably know why. And anyway, my legs started to turn purple because muscles get stronger faster than tendons. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was really curious uh, in that effect. But th- that's a common statement that people tell us, especially middle-aged men in their 40s and 50s and 60s, if we can restore their brain function, if you can imagine somebody like myself that has over 40 years of entrepreneurial experience, having my brain function as as well as it does somebody that's your age, Mm -hmm. that's amazing. No, it it absolutely is. Um, What would be maybe the the minimal effective dose? How how often would people need to use a CVAC? Well, uh, the the only uh, data that we the, the the only condition like that that we have data on in uh, was uh, at the Tempest Clinic. Uh, Tempest Clinic was operated by uh, Mike Nichols, who's a, a MD. He's an orthopedic surgeon, also a recovering triathlete. And he opened up the Tempest Clinic, and he had one of his patients or clients that had class four heart failure. And these are people that have a difficulty walking even three steps, being out of breath. So they, you know, the Tempest Clinic was a gym and also a medical clinic. So uh, this person was not able to participate in the uh, in working out. So they put him in the CVAC pod for 20 minutes a week, once a week, for uh, 12 weeks. And for him, it increased his VO2 max by 16%. And that was the difference of being able to walk or not. Now, in terms of uh, dose, everything we studied about this device indicates that it is like a very super form of exercise. So we follow the federal government guidelines of, you know, 20 minutes, three times a week as a minimum. Um, I prefer, and a lot of the athletes that use it, uh, we use it for 20 minutes and you feel like you want more. And just like when I go to the gym, 20 minutes and I don't get it, I don't feel like I have enough. After I'm in the pod for an hour, I feel like I don't get any more out of it. And however, now that studies have come out that even people who exercise vigorously an hour a day every day, if they have a job where they sit in a chair most of the day, they have an elevated risk of developing diabetes. And in my our theories, that's because of the accumulation of these waste products. So uh, what I do now is I'll try to take CVAC for 20 to 40 minutes in the morning and then 20 to 40 minutes before I go home. Wow. Okay. okay. And it doesn't take any extra time. I can work while I'm in it. And right. It's, right. Uh, 
you know, the, the obviously, you know, that meditation is good for you. And when you're in the CVAC pod, it's like you immediately go into the zone. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it was an incredible experience for me. Uh, you know, like I said, I, I, I know you say you like the, the analogy of coming out with the, the engine clean. I mean, I, charged was how I felt. And I mean, it was for, for our trip, we were, uh, we were up at 7 a.m. And, and on location every single day by 8 a.m. recording. And this went on until 8 or 9 at night, every single night from Wednesday through Sunday night. And just the sheer amount of uh, information that came in, that, that went out, uh, the, the workload that we were doing, uh, I feel like I feel like the only way I was able to really sustain that or get through that was, you know, being uh, a big part of that was actually being able to do the session on Friday morning, um, you know, at the Beverly Hills center. Uh, it, it certainly helped. Alan, you guys have a, a tremendous volume of studies. Um, right. if you had to pick one, I know that it's kind of unfair. They're kind of like children, but if you had to pick one, what, what's the most exciting, uh, result that you guys have been able to publish? Yeah, the uh, obviously in in the world of science, uh, until you do a blinded placebo controlled study, you don't really know. And uh, that was the study it's, uh, by the researchers at Stanford University on middle aged men that got less than three hours of exercise a week, which is like eighty percent of the population. Mm-hmm. And uh, they did their oral glucose tolerance tests on them, and the peaks went over one forty, which is one marker for pre diabetes. And it's estimated there are like 100 million Americans with prediabetes. And uh, the, like, like most of those people, these guys didn't know they were prediabetic. They, uh, they were in the CVAC pod for 40 minutes, three times a week. And then they had another group that sat, that, uh, got, sat in the pod uh, and they were told that they were going up to 22,000 feet. And so they, they were told that what they're comparing going up and down slowly versus going up and down fast. And uh, so what, what occurred uh, then is uh, they were told that the control group is a third group. And the group that uh, got the active treatment converted to normal from being pre-diabetic after 10 weeks. Wow. The group that got the placebo effect um, they they can uh, they actually continue to progress toward diabetes, okay. and uh, probably the one of the most exciting things is we were able to see a significant improvement in fasting blood glucose because the oral glucose tolerance test is time consuming. Mm-hmm. There are risks involved, and it, it's it's not a standard test. It is the gold standard, but it's not a standard test because it takes about two to three hours uh, to conduct. But the fasting blood glucose is a is a common test. Right. And the actively treated groups, fasting blood glucose, uh, dropped uh, enough that if you compare that with a study of 40,000 people done by Kaiser Permanente, it lowered their risk of developing diabetes by half. They cut it in half. Wow. So that's my favorite because it's blinded and placebo controlled. And, uh, and, and we achieved uh, statistical significance, even though there are only 20 people. Mm-hmm. It achieved statistical significance for the oral glucose tolerance test, the area under the curve, and for fasting blood glucose. And when you can achieve statistical significance on a small sample, that's very powerful because it means just about everybody saw an effect, a beneficial effect. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, 
couple more questions for you, Alan. Uh, sure. Number one, where can, is there, is there a resource where listeners can go to see uh, where they could get into a CVAC unit? Yeah, about uh, a third of our units are in uh, commercial sites, wellness centers and ed, doc, MDs offices and things like that. And so uh, there's a, a section uh, on our website that says, uh, where can I take a CVAC session? Mm-hmm. And or if you just Google CVAC locations, it go right to our website and there's a listing of the commercial centers. OK, we'll grab that link and put it on the show notes for you guys listening. So it's easy to find. Um, Alan, uh, any other resources people can look up for, for more information on CVAC? Uh, what, what is your website? It's uh, www.cvacsystems.com okay. or just Google CVAC pod and you'll see lots of pages about us. We've had uh, three Wall Street Journal articles. I think one of the best uh, articles out there is the Men's Journal article about us. And they talk a lot about the science in the technology. We'll grab that article as well and link to it on our uh, blog post for this. Uh, One thing I forgot to mention this earlier, when you were talking about uh, some of the altitude stuff, um, especially when you were talking about the fail safes, uh, the three three mechanisms that you have in place for that. uh, I just wanted to point out to our listeners that um, I even asked to go to a higher altitude on my first session <laughs> and was not allowed to. I was capped as a, as a beginner at five or 6,000 feet. And, and it was told uh, by the, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on the word, the person who runs the, yeah. the, the, yeah, the technician the session, or the operator. Yeah, the session administrator. Yeah. Right. So, so that's, I mean, that's another standard thing that's built in. So if, if somebody listening is saying, oh, you know, I'd like to try it, but I'm afraid to go to 20,000 feet on my first one. Even if you want to, they're not going to let you. That's right. You, you have to, you have to uh, go up gradually because a uh, part of the process is your ears adapt quickly, but they have to adapt. Mm-hmm. And so if you were to go up to even, you know, 10,000 or 15,000 feet on a first session, your ears would not be able to uh, adapt to that. And if you've ever flown on an airplane with a cold, uh, you know what that feels like. And there's no reason for people to have to endure that. Right. Um, so no fears of uh, going too high on your first few uh, experiences. Absolutely. We, 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 and what's even though you went up to only 5,000 feet, uh, if you were a competitive athlete, we find with just a 20 minute session to 5,000 feet, athletes will go out and set a personal record. I should have gone for one on Saturday. (laughs) Um, All right, Alan, your top three tips to live optimal. To live live optimal. uh, (laughs) That's like the standard question these days. Number one, most important thing is to have a purpose in life Mm -hmm. and uh, understand uh, the importance of having a purpose. Uh, secondly, uh, don't sweat the small stuff. You've heard that before. Keep your, keep your eye on the purpose and don't get bogged down in, in the minutia. Uh, second, uh, is uh, persistence. And there's a good article on that by Calvin Coolidge or a good quote by Calvin Coolidge about persistence. So just Google Calvin Coolidge and persistence. And those are, those are my three top things is, to um, have a have a purpose in life, 
Don't worry about the little stuff. Don't worry about things that you can't control. Mm -hmm. Okay. Focus on the things you can control and have, uh, uh, have persistence. I love it. One more on that. Uh, how would you define your purpose? I'm just curious. Uh, it's, I don't want to sound a bit grandiose, but we're clearly on a path to potentially make a huge reduction, maybe even eliminate age-related diseases. Your, your purpose has to be big. It's got to be something that fuels you and, and drives you. So that's right. I don't think that's too grandiose. Well, a lot of people have attempted, and I, I think we're making some pretty good inroads. One of the amazing things about this is whenever we do a research study, it's successful. You know, usually you do research and it doesn't work and try something else and it doesn't work, try something else. We've, we've had everyone we've attempted has been outstandingly successful. That's that's amazing. Yeah, it, it's it, it, the consistency is 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 a just amazing. And the, you know, with, with a drug, there's a, with a new drug. You know, you have the the side effects that get produced, and you have the, the therapeutic effect. And that little window in between is the therapeutic window. Mm -hmm. uh, this therapeutic window is enormous. The only thing that can equate to the enormity of this therapeutic window is physical exercise. Wow. Both good things to add to your tools in, in your repertoire for living optimal and right. living a really long time and living well for that long yeah. time. So, um, Alan, I, I thank you for, for the interview um, and, and definitely appreciate uh, all the work that you did to help us set up our, our trip and, and get us into a unit while we were out there. Uh, My pleasure. Uh, best of luck to you guys. If there's anything I or we can do at Natural Stacks to help you guys with uh, your, your studies or, or anything, don't hesitate to let us know. Um, for you guys listening, uh, make sure you go to naturalstacks.com. We'll have the video version of this along with some footage from uh, our trip to uh, a CVAC unit at Beverly Hills Rejuvenation Center. Uh, go to uh, iTunes, leave us a five-star review, share the OPP with your friends and family. And that's it. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys next Thursday. Thank you.